Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. This season's podcast is sponsored by a great new startup called Tweak Life. They have built a well-being hub full of useful information of tweaks that you can make, including mindfulness, nutrition, exercise, managing addictions, improving your finances and even the menopause. The last few years have been really tough for us all. And with this in mind, Louise created this hub hoping to help individuals and businesses offer this to their employees and apply some of these tweaks to make a difference to people's lives. This is free to use, so for more information, please go to tweaklife.co.uk. My guest today on One for the Road is a content creator from London whose advocacy for addiction and mental health recovery has brought hope to so many. She has been clean and sober since April 2020 and now creates content detailing the highs and lows of sobriety, recovery and self-discovery. In this episode, she is brutally honest and I have to issue a trigger warning that she discusses her attempted suicide. So please give a warm welcome to the wonderful and amazing Abby Feltham. Hi Abby, how are you doing? You all right? I'm doing well, thank you, Dave. How are you? I'm fine. It's quite a late one for me. I'm normally asleep by now, nine o'clock at night. So you were late <laughs> bird. Yeah, I'm not a late bird at all. I'm an early morning person. I'm up up early in the morning, straight down the gym. I also go to the gym in the evening, so we had to do this a bit later. Um, Because it turns out addiction transference is real. Uh, So I don't don't smoke crack anymore, but I do go to the gym twice a day. That's that's a little bit healthier for you, isn't it, anyway? Yeah, much better option. So I was um, looking through my notes earlier, and I I see that you were born in Berkshire, lovely part of the world, and then you moved Mm -hmm. to London, right? And so you know these are life stories, and I love to get straight in there. I was a really sad kid. I I was really... And I'm a depressed teenager. I did not feel very happy. Like I always struggled, always struggled with my mental health. I, I felt very misunderstood as a teenager. I felt I felt very it felt very difficult to relate to other people. Like as a kid, like I always had lots of friends growing up and I always had like a social life and stuff, but even though I had friends, I didn't understand anyone. I found it really hard to relate to people. I found it difficult to just interact with the world like other people my age when I was a kid I remember just like and I still do this now like watching other people just kind of effortlessly go about their days and they can just exist in the world and and they're they're relaxed and they can 
interact with people and as a kid and even now um I just felt so withdrawn I felt like it was a struggle for me to relate to anyone really um and that was one of the reasons why I drank because I felt like such a disconnect from the world when I drank it made me feel part of something and also as a as a kid I always had really low self-esteem like I still do now like I've only, I'm only at the beginning of my self-love journey. I'm only very, very much right at the beginning. Um, and it's just like I struggle with. Yeah, I always just absolutely hated myself. Hated myself. Like, I was just, I was beating myself up all day. I, I, was, I was absolutely my worst enemy, which is another big reason for my drinking and drug use because it made me forget, you know? Like, when I was intoxicated, I forgot how much I hated myself. God, how old were you when you start to feel like this then? Very, very young. Very young. I always felt like very, like I didn't come from a very stable family life. And I always felt very unwanted. I remember when I was a kid, when I was very, when I was like, like, like four or five, I remember banging my head against the wall. Like whenever I was angry or frustrated, I banged my head against the wall, like violently, like as a form of self-harm. And then also because I didn't know how to express my emotions. And I was doing that from like, yeah, like, like four or five years old. And how old were you when you started drinking then? Uh, like 13, 14. And then like as soon as I, as soon as I, as soon as I started drinking, like it was, it just, it just masked all those feelings. Like all those feelings of not feeling good enough, of hating myself, of not being able to relate, relate to anyone else. As soon as I drank that just went away so I was yeah I was like oh that's great I'm <laughs> gonna continue doing that could you relate to anyone else or did that just quieten down the voice in your head it was quite quieting down the voice and and also I feel like w- when I had like drinking buddies we connect on that level yeah that was one of the things I was I was really worried about when I stopped drinking that I wouldn't be able to connect with people anymore because I wouldn't like have drunken chats and drunken heart to hearts and I was like how do people like talk to each other when they're sober like <laughs> how do you just have a conversation with someone especially if you do it from a younger age because you form your identity like I've talked about it before um I think it's the usual suspects where they all had their name didn't they Mr Pink Mr Black <clears throat> and for me I was never the fighter I've talked about this before but I was the drinker Mr. Drink yeah. you know and that was my identity of always being the one that would down the beers fall over in the mm. car park or yeah I was good time part I was good time party girl yeah that was my persona like not caring the world like always up for a laugh really I was dead inside and I hated myself and I was really depressed but at, at the time you drank though it gave you the confidence but when you came off the alcohol did you feel mm. worse about yourself well when I was drinking yeah what do you know what Dad? I didn't sober up for about like I, I was drunk for about 10 years there really? like yeah I was a daily drinker I was a morning drinker I don't remember being sober for like the last 10 years honestly because every time like the alcohol started wearing off then I would start feeling things again and feeling bad and I didn't want that oh, so it really got rid of all of those feelings then yeah breakfast vodka like really really helped me not be the quivering wreck of a human I, I was and it worked for a little bit for a very 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 short time until I became dependent on it did you um like get a job or how did you exist like financially in that I've, I've always worked in hospitality I worked in bars I worked in restaurants um yeah I did bar work for years and 
everyone was drunk. Um, I lived in Southeast Asia for four years, working in a bar, and that was absolute carnage. <laughs> that is literally like we'd wake up and yeah, start drinking like as soon as we woke up, and then we'd work in the evening, and it was a very easy job. <laughs> so, how old were you when you started traveling then? Because you've done a fair bit, haven't you? So, I, I grew up in Berkshire. And it was like middle-class upbringing and nobody spoke about their feelings and everyone was quietly depressed and addicted to alcohol rather than outwardly. And then I moved to London when I was 18 and then I worked in radio for a little bit and then I became a club DJ. Basically, when I, when I, was, when I was in my early 20s, I just wanted a job with the least amount of responsibility where I was able to drink. Like that was my only criteria. I didn't care how much I was getting paid, essentially what I was doing, but my criteria was I don't have to do anything and I can drink. Um, so I, a DJ was a really, really good for that. Um, and then I, yeah, and I lived in London until I was 23. And then I had like an epiphany, which is very similar to the epiphany that I had when I knew it was, when I knew that I had to get, had to stop drinking, living in London. And I just knew I had to leave. I was like, right, I have to, I have to go. I have to go to Asia. <laughs> and I booked a flight to Thailand. And then I lived out of a backpack. <laughs> for, the, for the following 10 years wow and that was yeah. that another running away thing it was so escape is a, is, a, yeah. is a really massive thing for me i didn't want to face didn't want to face my reality didn't want to face my problems didn't want to face myself um and i didn't want to have any responsibility i didn't want to have to think i didn't want to do anything like i literally had no ambition like, all i wanted to do was travel get drunk, do drugs and have sex. Like for me, that was my, those were my life goals and that's all I cared about. Well, there's probably a few people on here listening thinking that doesn't sound a bad option actually, but <laughs> well, we're not on here. Talk about that. So was that, do you think, because um, when you moved to London, do you think your drinking got to such a level that you had to do something different? Like where were you with your drinking when you had this epiphany? Was it like a real rock bottom? No, it wasn't rock bottom at all. I was, I was drinking a lot. I was taking a lot of drugs. I was in, I was in, <laughs> spending a lot of time in Camden. And like, I always knew that I drank differently to everyone else. My friends that I hang around, like that I still am friends with now. Um, I've got like a really close friendship circle and they've supported me like all the way through. But I always knew that I drank differently to them. So when we we're in our early twenties, like they party too. But we'd go out to like a warehouse rave or something. And then we'd, we'd, go, we'd be partying for that evening. And then in the morning, they all go to sleep. And I was like, no, I'm still going. I'm still going. And I'd be drinking. I'd carry on drinking. I'd, I'd just find someone else to drink with, even though they were all, they were all done. I was like, I was never done, ever. I, I only stopped when I passed out, basically. <laughs> so I always knew that I drank differently to other people. And I guess, like, yeah, I, I think I probably got quite bored in London because I needed to take my my escapism up a notch you know I guess I was like getting a bit stagnant just going out in Camden with the same people I was like right I need I need something more and that's that yeah that's when I left so did you google where can I nah I just went to I just went to Thailand I'd seen the film The Beach and I was like well yeah, I was like, I'm just going to Thailand. So yeah. would drugs involved, like, quite heavily here as well? Well, yeah, but, like, okay, so alcohol is my problem. Alcohol is my, is what I am powerless against. Like, I cannot control alcohol at all. So d- drug taking was always a symptom of drinking. Like, if I took cocaine, it meant I could drink more. When I got drunk, when I was drunk all the time, you know, I had no inhibitions. And I just, I wanted to push myself further. I wanted to see how fucked up I could get. 
and then so drugs were like the next level up but I wouldn't be at home and be like oh I really fancy a line of cocaine whereas I would be at home and be like oh I really fancy downing three bottles of wine yeah but I did I did do a lot of drugs yeah alcohol is my is my thing alcohol is my jam you know I've always said that myself like I didn't really get into drugs to be honest um but it's not an era thing as well because I, I used to go out and see people like wiping mm-hmm. their bloody nose and licking their flipping gums and whatever all the time. <laughs> like, yeah, but I, I just never did anything to me because I knew the booze would do exactly what I wanted. You know, I didn't think mm-hmm. any more than that. Um, but I'm grateful in a way that I didn't go down that road. But I've also heard that yeah. one after the other. Like, you have a drink. Like, a lad that works for me, he'll kill me. But, yeah, he, mm-hmm. um, he'd always sell three or four beers. It's like ring the dealer. So yeah. it's it was yeah. that thing. And then with me, about two in the morning, I would just clap out. And then, yeah, I can understand with a coat that you just carry on and on. There'd be times where I remember this one house party. It was my 26th birthday. I got so drunk that I, like, passed out. The next thing I remember, my friends were waking me up by, like, stuffing cocaine up my nose. And then all of a sudden I was awake again and I was fine. And I, could, and I drank for another, like, couple of days before I passed out again. Jeez. Went, yeah. Yeah. So when you was out in Asia and that, like, did you up your drinking and drugs a lot there? Yeah, massively, massively. Drugs were very readily available. So I lived in Laos for four years. There was a lot of opium out there, quite a bit of mess, you know. And it was just, it's just like the crowds that I was hanging out with. I was hanging out with like backpackers, basically. Other people like me who were running away from life, running away from problems. And also just wanted no responsibilities and wanted to get fucked up all the time. Yeah. So it was normalized with us, you know, in our in our circle. Yeah, it was so it was normalized. We egged each other on. We encouraged each other. It was like, yeah, the the more fucked up you could get, and the more stupid shit you could do, like the more kudos you get, you got, and it was it was wild. Dave, <laughs> did you ever get into like conversations about why, or was it just complete no no? Because, like, I've never been in that environment, really. Do you know what I mean? Like, I was the guy down the local. But was yeah. it just uh, avoided those conversations? Or when you're absolutely smashed, you start getting into it? Um, they were completely avoided, those conversations. I think it was just, like, it was obvious that every single one of us had problems. <laughs> like, we're all running away from something. We're all, we, none of us were drinking like normal people. But it was, no one spoke about it. And I remember when I first started working in Asia, like, I think I'd been, basically, I went to, I went to Laos and I visited this town and I, I was going to stay there for a couple of days and move on. And those two days turned into four years. And I remember when I first got there, like in my first week, I made a joke about us being alcoholics. Now I was 23 at the time. So I like, very much did not think I was an alcoholic at that time um, and didn't think I had a problem with alcohol. Maybe... Well, I was going to say, maybe I didn't, but I definitely did. And I made a joke about us being alcoholics. And I remember the, one of the girls said, we don't say that word. Like, so it was like shut down immediately. And I remember she was so serious. Her tone changed completely. But like, we don't say that word. And I was like, oh, okay. And then never spoke that way again. Uh, and do you know why? Was it just because it was an, uh, not a spoken thing? Like, we don't talk about... Uh, sigh out of mind. If, you, if, if we started talking about how we were all lunatics that were drunk all the time, then, we'd have to, then it would become a problem. Like, we'd be acknowledging the problem. We'd be acknowledging that there was a problem. But if nobody spoke about it... Like it was very much a culture of 
we're just having fun all like all the time and if you're bringing down the mood then you're out pretty much Oh god, that is absolute denial, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's such denial. Do you know what? Do you do you remember the film The Beach? Yeah. Right. You know when they're in that community and one of them gets bitten by a shark and he's like dying, and he's bringing the mood down, and everyone's like, "Oh no, this is horrible!" And they they put him in like the woods to die, and they're like, "Oh yeah, out of sight, out of mind." And then all of a sudden, when he's dying, but they can't, but he's not around. Um, everyone's in a good mood again. It was like that. Wow. It was like that. It's like if anyone was like bringing, like, like, like causing drama or, or not having a good time, it was like, right, I can snap out of it or you can't hang out with us anymore. Wow, that's that's fascinating. So it's just like a constant trip, wasn't it? Oh my God, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so how did you move on? What happened like, after four years? Well, I moved to Australia. So like, obviously like, you know, four years in one place. I did do a bit of traveling in between that, but I went to, I went, went to and from places. Uh, I moved to Australia for two years. Um, Cause I, you know, I just, I, I felt like, oh, I need to move on. I need to do something different. It was like when I decided to go traveling in the first place, I'm like, right, I need to change the scenery. I need to go do something different. Yeah. So I went to Australia for a couple of years. I, as soon as I got to Australia, I just drank in the same way I did when I was living in Southeast Asia. I was just in a different country. And it was still like a backpacking kind of community, you know? I did that. And then I went back to Southeast Asia. And then I met I met a man. Uh-oh. And then I moved, yeah, and then I moved to the States with that man, where it quickly became apparent that I was an unstable alcoholic uh, who was very depressed. And I uh, basically just got blackout drunk every night and screamed at him. Like I was his holiday romance and he took me back home to live with him in New York. And then very quickly things went south and I was just screaming at him every night. So he was like, oh, you have to get out of my house. Like, <laughs> like, you, like you are unstable. Um, so he kicked me out. Um, he, drove, he drove me to Newark Airport at like four o'clock in the morning. He's like, you have to leave. And then I moved to Canada because I had a visa for Canada. I moved to Canada and I was like heartbroken. The way I dealt with my heartbreak was I started smoking crack. I'm like, oh yeah, that'll make that'll make my problems better. That'll fix fix my my broken heart. I'll just start smoking crack. Other people might, you know, get their hair cut to get over a breakup. I was like, nah, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna go move into a crack then. Um, so I did that, and that was a very very dark time in my life. Oh, darling, yeah. it's um, <clears throat> it's getting worse. You know, the more yeah. it's getting worse and running away more from all of it, really. You know, your inner feelings and life. And, like, so the crack, how long did that go on for? Because that's a whole bloody new rabbit hole, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I went on, like, a, a, like a four-month crack bender. So it was, like, do you know what? I I feel, like, I don't want to say I'm lucky because no, no one wants to end up fucking sitting in a darkened room smoking crack with strangers for days on end, you know. But I did get out of it, and it, it, I wasn't in that place for a great deal of time. So I went on, like, a four-month crack bender. I was living in Ottawa in Canada, and then I kind of, like, realised how shit everything was and that I was smoking hard drugs and that I was, like, oh, I was just fucked. I just wasn't where I wanted to be in life at all. So <laughs> I moved again. So I ran away. Around some Vancouver Island, where things progressively got more worse. As soon as, soon as I, I got to Vancouver Island, I stopped smoking crack, but I didn't feel any better. I didn't feel any better about myself. My mental health issues are still there. I was still very depressed. I was still feeling very suicidal. I'm, I'm like a pressure cooker, say. Like, I ignored all my mental health issues for so long. I ignored 
how much I hated myself, how depressed I was. So I just kept on running away physically. I'd run away to different countries. I wouldn't let, I wouldn't get close to anyone. Like mentally, I was intoxicated all the time. So everything built up. It was like a pressure cooker. Everything built up, built up, built up, built up. And there was no like, there was no release ever. And obviously I exploded. <laughs> exploded in a mess of emotions. So I was in, I was, I was in um, Vancouver, Canada, Vancouver Island, sorry. And I was working in a barbecue restaurant and was living in a trailer and it was really miserable there. It was a tourist town that in the summer, it was like really busy and like really like lively. But I was there in the winter and it was just abysmal. It was raining all the time. It was really, it was just, oh, it was really short days. No one was around. So I only had a couple of friends and nothing was going on. And I just had it. I was, I was so depressed. I hated myself so much. I hated my life. Hey, what I was doing. Um, so I was like, oh, do you know what? I just don't, I just don't want to be here anymore. Like, I'm just, I just want to, I'm just going to kill myself. I'm just going to die. So that's what I did. I tried to kill myself. And then as a result of that, ended up in a psych ward. Turns out if you try and kill yourself, you know, they don't just let you get, get on with things. You know, you have to, you have to go to psychiatric hospital. Um, so this ambulance turned up, took me in the middle of the night to this, because like, it was on Vancouver Island. It was like this tiny little, like, yeah, it was a tiny tourist town that was away from everything else. The nearest psychiatric ward was like a five hour drive away. So this ambulance came and picked me up and they gave me a bunch of sleeping pills, fell asleep. And five hours later, woke up in this psych ward and they gave me like these pajamas and these weird socks. And they were like, here, put this on. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I, I just live in a psych ward in Canada now. And yeah, and I was there for like three days and I was very confused. I didn't know what was going on. And I was like, wow, this is my life. Like, this is what it's come to. I'm in these, I'm, I'm in this, wearing weird pajamas, talking to this strange Canadian doctor. I don't even know where the fuck I am. Like, this is my life. I'm, I was 31 at the time. Like, all my, all my friends who are the same age as me, they're all married and bought houses and stuff. And I'm in my weird pajamas. But that wasn't enough to like snap me out of it. That wasn't enough to stop me from drinking or it wasn't enough for me to want to make any lifestyle changes. Like I still, I was still suicidal. Like I, like, I was like, oh damn, I can't believe I, just, I didn't succeed. You know, like I had no interest in investing in my life. So I just didn't want to be there. So as soon as I got home, back to my, back to my trainer, um, I went straight to the liquor store. Like as soon as I got, like, I was like, oh, thank God I'm at the psych ward. Now I can destroy my life even further with alcohol. Got like obliterated. And I think I like, I think, I guess it was like two weeks before I lost my job. I was like, I just went on a mad one day. I drank a bottle of, so I was working in this barbecue restaurant. I drank a bottle of vodka <laughs> on shift. So I just didn't care anymore. Yeah. Didn't care. And I, yeah, I just got so drunk. <laughs> then, the owner of the restaurant came in and I don't remember much because I was blackout, but I do remember him taking me into the kitchen and sitting me down and he was just shouting at me. <laughs> like he was talk he was like pointing and talking to me or shouting at me, telling me off. And I was like I remember just like looking up at him like I was being told off by like like I was a child and he was yeah. telling me off. Yeah. And then the ne- I went in for a meeting the next day and he was like, I think you've got a problem with alcohol and I was like, yeah, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> Still wasn't enough though. Got drunk after the oh, meeting. Colin, honestly. So when you tried to kill yourself, how did they find you? Did you tell someone or? Yeah, so I was like texting the guy I was seeing. I was texting him at the time. Right. So I tried to I tried to hang myself. Well, no, I did hang myself. And he came in and got me down and then quite, like called police, called an ambulance. 
I remember hanging there and he burst through the door. It was really dramatic. And then he kind of pulled me down. This is, honestly, this is like a bloody film. Like you two. I know. <laughs> I know. One, 31 years old up to now. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. Did, so you drank a bottle of vodka and you lost your job. Yeah. Go on then. And then all the news reports started talking about this virus from China. And then all of a sudden, everything was shutting down. COVID was a thing. Everyone else lost their jobs at the same time. And then all the other British people were going home, you know, like all, all the, a lot of the backpackers around the world were like, all right, it's time to go home now because of the pandemic. And like, and you know, it was, it was a very uncertain time. No one knew it was going to happen. So that was my calling to go home. So I went back to the UK. That's the only reason I went back to the UK. If COVID hadn't happened, if the pandemic hadn't hit, then I would have still been out there. I wouldn't have given in. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have given up. I would have. I would, I would have stayed. Tra- I would have kept on traveling, kept on drinking. I'd probably be dead now, to be honest. I was going to say. Um, yeah, it was like like that. It forced me to go home. And where was home though in the UK? Berkshire. So I moved back. So you went. Back. Yeah, I went back yeah. to my mum's house in the in the house that I grew up in. And how was that after all that? Well, <laughs> guess what I did when I got home? Started drinking, like. Literally, as soon as I got to my my mum's house, full of alcohol. So I was like, right, bang in, get on a bend at that. Yes, get on it. Like I was just like, I didn't have like my mindset hadn't changed at all. All this stuff had happened. Like I I lost my relationship because the the guy in New York, I was really in love with him. I really like treasured that relationship. All this stuff happened. I lost my relationship. Ended up on crack. Tried to kill myself. Stayed in the psych ward. Lost my job. All this stuff was happening and. None of it made me want to stop drinking, like at all. Like I, did, I didn't want to change. Like I didn't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I. I knew that I could, or if that was an option. I had absolutely no hope. Like there was not a glimmer of hope inside me. So when I got home, back to my mum's house, I just carried on drinking. Just went on a bender, and I was. I was just so sad today. I was so sad. I was so depressed. I was just defeated. Like I just did, like didn't want to be there at all. And then the strangest thing happened. Like I was, I came off like this two week bender and I was sitting on the end of my bed and I was reflecting because, you know, it was early pandemic. I, like, I was unemployed. I had a lot of spare time, <laughs> a lot of spare time. And I sobered up a little bit and I was just reflecting on my life and all the shit that had happened and how horrible and traumatic it had all been. And then just everything fell into place. Everything clicked. Literally, it was like, it was like a, it was like in slow motion, just like everything just made sense in one moment. And I was like, oh my God, I have to stop drinking. If I want things to get better, then I have to stop, I have to stop drinking. And then I realized in that moment that I did want things to get better. Like I didn't, I didn't want to die. I wanted some small part of me wanted to fight and wanted things to get better. And for the first time in my entire life, I listened to that tiny little voice that said like, it doesn't have to be this way. Things can change. And I just knew it was alcohol. Like if I took alcohol out of my life, then things will start to get better. And I haven't, mm. I haven't drank since then. Wow, that sounds really spiritual, actually. It was super spiritual. Yeah, because that's what happened to me. Yeah. One day, I, I, I just, I had a message. I'm not going to bore everyone by the same story, but it was literally a message um, that it's now or never kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? And it felt like I someone plugged me into something and it was like, right, here's some extra strength for you to get over this. 
Yeah. Like that it was. Yeah. And that was my day one. Yeah. It's mad, oh, isn't it? Yeah, that's an incredible story. So mm. on your, when that happened, did did you think, right, that is it? How am I going to do that? Or did you, at that time, did you just think, right, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I am going to do it? Yeah, I did. How did you go about it? I didn't know what to do. <laughs> All I knew was that I couldn't drink. All I knew yeah. was that I couldn't have a drink. So I just focused on that. How was that, though? Because you were drinking a load, weren't you? Well, I went through withdrawals, <laughs> which was uh, horrible, which was just awful. I didn't know at the time how dangerous it was to, yeah, to go through stop. withdrawals. Just to stop. Like now, yeah. when I speak to anyone about it, I tell them, you know, always always see a doctor because it can be fatal if you just, if you just go for yeah, a yeah, yeah, but I didn't know that. Like, so I, I didn't know anything. I didn't know how people got sober. I knew that Alcoholics Anonymous was a thing that, that existed yeah. so I knew that like people can live without drinking but I didn't know how how you do it I didn't know where to start so I was like okay where I where I'm going to start is don't drink so I did that and then I went oh my god I had a week right I was I was in bed for a week I remember I was watching I, like I just watched Parks and Recreation do you know that sitcom it was on Netflix yeah. there's like seven seasons and I just watched that for yeah. a week and it, I was so sick I was so so sick like I was having like, I was having hot flushes. I was cold. I was hot. I was sweating. I was shivering. I was like slipping in and out of consciousness. I was like hallucinating the room. Like just did not stop spinning for like days. My mum didn't know what was going on with me. And I was just told her I was sick. Did she not get the doctor out? Nah. After a week, Mm. you started to feel better. I did. Yeah. Again, I didn't know where to start. I had seen, I'd seen this. I remember I had seen this TV show on Netflix called Love. Have you seen it? No. It's about a couple. They they meet and he's like a normal dude, but she's an alcoholic and she doesn't realise she's an alcoholic and then she kind of like figures it out and it's it's about her get, kind of like going into recovery and then her like relapsing, whatever, and then him being a normal bloke and trying to love her, essentially. She had this app on her phone where she was counting her sober days. In the show, she relapses. And then she has to restart the clock. And I was like, oh, I wonder if that app's real. So I searched on uh, Google Play Store, like, for a sobriety app, and I found I Am Sober, that app. And then I started counting. I'll that. Yeah, I love it. I still use it. Yeah. Every, I still use it every day. And then so I started using that, and then I was, I was literally just taking it one day at a time. There was a little community yeah. on there, and I wrote journal entries on there, and I interacted with other people who had like who was on the same journey as me. And then people like commented on my my post. People who had more sobriety time than me, and they were like they were like cheering me on. And then I remember there was this chef guy on there, and he had like twenty eight years of sobriety. Twenty eight years, like what the hell? Um, <laughs> I was like, what? Okay, this obviously is a thing. Then you know, I thought I was special and different. But <laughs> But no, no, no. Oh. Other people had this problem, apparently. Um, and then, yeah. And then I was like, so I, I always take things to extremes, which I, a lot of people who are like us uh, also all do like- that. <laughs> all or nothing. So, you know, when I was drinking, I was getting obliterated. So when I was sober, I was going to be the most sober person there was. So I put all I put all my attention on recovery and getting better. I've had a lot of mental health problems in the past. And I've had to recover from them. 
like going through like bouts of depression and I've like yeah I've had to recover from there and I, I guess it was very similar like that journey of recovery like I knew that I had to look after myself and I knew that I had to get healthy so I made that my mission and I did loads of yoga and meditation and I read loads of books about healing I unfollowed all the drinking accounts on Instagram I had I was like following loads of like party accounts and stuff I unfollowed all them and then I started following sober meme accounts instead yeah. they were all really dark and funny and self-deprecating and I was like oh I think these are my people yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. I and then I started reading about people who felt the same way as I did who also hated themselves and felt disconnected from the world and didn't know how to relate to people but then I related to them and I was like oh yeah, this is, my, this is my tribe. And, you know, quite often when I talk to people, it's uh, the subject that comes up a lot is about their self-worth because mm. I, I had none. Like, mm-hmm. I literally, I, I don't think it was your extreme of hating myself as a child, but mm-hmm. um, I, didn't, I didn't like myself. I felt rejected as a child, but that... Well, once I started drinking, I then began, the, the, you know, it's like in the beginning, you love mm-hmm. it and it's a party, this party, that, and everyone's around you, oh, you're a lad, you're on, whatever. But where I started to drink at home and, and solitary drinking is like I started to mm-hmm. really go down a rabbit hole there and drink unbelievable amounts. And then, like I've said before, it's like um, a weird Pink Floyd video, like something weird that I would slip into this void this world of mm. I don't know what I was doing do you know what I mean but it was comfortable for me it felt mm. safe in a way because no one could touch me in it yeah you know yeah definitely it's hard to get out of sometimes you know because then facing the real world where your emotions are completely bare yeah it's really difficult but for what you went through to have this see it's interesting because you had epiphanies Mm. Isn't it? Yeah. Like when when you move from Berkshire to London, then London to Thailand, Thailand mm. to Australia, all these epiphanies. But the the one the big powerful one was the I've got a, and that come from did that come from nowhere or it came from nowhere really? I knew someone in who had been previously in recovery. The guy that got me on the old crack, like he was he was a recovering alcoholic when I met him. And then he decided to relapse. And I was like, oh, I'm going to come with you. Yeah, he, when I first met him, he was sober and he was in recovery and he, he'd describe himself as a recovering alcoholic. And he was the same age as me. He was like a young person. And I was like, what? So you just don't drink. Like, you just don't do anything. And he was like, yeah. He's like, I'm an alcoholic. I can't drink. Like, and then I was like, oh, interesting. So like, that, that kind of seed had been planted in my mind. Like, I knew that like people people could stop drinking and people my age who had lifestyles similar to mine could live without alcohol. But then he yeah. relapsed and gave me crack. And then I was like, oh, well, this is fantastic. Mm. And, then we, <laughs> and then we went on a four months crack vendor together. There's always a seed though. You know, mm. like I've always found it. I say to people that are stopping drinking, you probably find that um, where you're worried about your friends judging you, mm. one of them one day will come up to you and start asking you questions. Because you've planted the seed. Because a lot of the reactions are a mirror of themselves, aren't they? So mm. it's like, oh, so how long have you not drank for now? And what's it like? And how do you do it? And it's like, you know, not that I've got a problem, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So how how um, how far into your sobriety are you now? My sober date is April 1st, 2020. 
April Fool's Day. Hey. <laughs> when, I, when I told like my friends and family, when I was like, I am a raging alcoholic, I'm very depressed, and if I don't stop drinking, I'm going to die. They were like, ah, April Fool's. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm like, I'm like no, I am actually getting sober, I'm stopping drinking. And they're like, yeah. yeah. And, that's all. and I was like, no, I'm quitting drinking, I'm not going to drink anymore. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, everyone thought it was so- an April Fool's joke. What things you joke about, though? <laughs> so you go to AA, right? I do, I do. And do you do the step program? I do, I do. I have a sponsor. Um, yeah. Yeah, do the do the twelve steps. One step three. Oh well, do you know what? I can really see how that works for you. Yeah. Because I I think you need structure and mm. and planning. Yeah. And you need to stick to something. Mm. That's what I see. <laughs> what happened was though, is that I well, I was. About a year and a half sober, and my first my first year, I was like, I know now that this is called a pink cloud, right? But yeah. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing! All my problems are fixed. Everything's going to be okay. I'm going to live happily ever after. Finally, um, and then that was great. I was like riding on that high of like, I'm sober, I'm healthy, I'm fit, like all those kind of business. My mind's clear. I'm getting to know myself, etc. About a year, about a year in everything came crumbling down. Like yeah. I, I got really sad again. I got really depressed and, and I was doing really bad at work and they threatened to fire me and, and I wasn't getting on with my friends and stuff. And I was like, and, but I was sober. I wasn't drinking. And I was like, what the fuck's going on here? Like I've stopped drinking. Why am I still like losing jobs? Why are people pissed off at me? Like things were supposed to be better. Uh, so I realized that for me, just not drinking and staying abstinent wasn't enough for me anymore. Like it wasn't, that mm. wasn't work. Just, just as how the alcohol stopped working for me, like as a way to run away from my problems, just, just staying abstinent and not tending to my alcoholism wasn't working for me anymore. And if I, if I didn't seek outside help, then I was going to either start drinking again or just be very miserable and sober. But I didn't want to be miserable and sober. I wanted to be happy and sober. So I went from miserable and drunk to miserable and sober. And now I want to pass to sober and happy. Um, and that's what, that's what 12, the 12 step program is giving me and is helping me with. It's that mindset change and it's, it's that rewiring my, my brain so I can better cope with life. So I can, I can do life on life's terms. Your life on your terms as well, because mm. you've been running away from you. Yeah. You know. Like you, on paper, it looks like you're running away. I'm going there, I'm going there, I'm going, I'm escaping, I'm escaping, but you're escaping yourself. So mm-hmm. when you stop and you have to face the music, a lot of it is about finding out about yourself. And um, that's that's a lot of work there, isn't it, for you? Mm-hmm. Because you've you've been doing it for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mine was bloody 40 years. So I had to have therapy. The, the main thing for me was to actually stop drinking so then mm-hmm. I could move on to other things. And I sometimes say it depends really on the person, but for me I had to go give up the drinking for a few months first before mm-hmm. I could even delve into my feelings. It was too much for me. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so you're over two years now. I am, yeah, over yeah. two years, yes. And how do you social situations now then? Well, I'm just fine. I'm just fine nowadays. When I first got sober, I went for dinner with my mum and her friends. Like I think I was like, it must have been like four months sober, three or four months. Fucking at a restaurant with my mum, there was loads of wine and loud people yeah. who I didn't know, and I just had a panic attack. I had to sleep in the car. It was horrible. Um, 
But after that, I kind of realized that I had to kind of like ease myself into it. I had to be with people I trusted. I had to be in places that I was comfortable. And I just basically started like building building it up um and now I'm absolutely fine for social situations you know and going out and I go I go to pubs and bars all the time with my friends all my friends drink they get drunk they're really funny <laughs> we have a lot of fun and then I go home early <laughs> when they all start repeating themselves and getting too loud um that's my cue to leave French exit they call that yeah yeah I still don't know what that means really but <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but um, yeah, it just took me a while to get to that place where I, where I was comfortable yeah. and I could do that. And I don't worry about going out anymore. I don't like, you know, I, I know my triggers and I know myself well enough now that if I am faced with something, I can deal with it. And I know it's very much one day at a time thing, mm. but I know that. And the uh, devil's always lurking or whatever. But to yeah. you, do you feel like that's it now? Or do you feel like you have to do it one day at a time? Um, do you mean, is that it? As in, it, will I never drink again? Well, or plan not to. Yeah, I plan not to. I plan not to. Well, is that true? Probably not. Right. So I I know that if, I, if I'm drinking, then I'm not going to be where I want to be in life. And I am going to be depressed and I will, my, I will have a lot of mental health issues. That's the reality. Uh, so I, I won't drink again until maybe if I get to old age and I'm like 90 years old. I have a sherry. I have a fucking sherry. I have a sherry and some heroin probably. Yeah. You know, if I, if I've achieved everything I want to achieve and I can't lose anything, and there's not really going to be any consequences because I'm a 90 year old woman. Maybe then I'll get, I'll have a little drinky poos, but I have no plan or no real desire yeah no real desire to start drinking again just because i know like what comes with drinking for me if i take a drink that is depression suicidal ideation that is losing jobs losing all my drive and ambition and passion for life and just absolute misery and that's really not appealing to me like because it's never it's never going to be just a couple of a couple of drinks and a good time and a bit of a dance and a party like ne- that's never going that's never going to be it so I, I have no desire to be suicidal. So no, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Actually, yeah. Abby, yeah. <laughs> uh, has um, helping others help you? Because I'll tell you, why I asked you that. You did a live uh, about a month ago, and mm. I don't, I don't see a lot of your live for some reason. Whether you don't do a lot, I don't know. I've, I I've stopped do doing. It. But do you know what? You was on your own, and you was on for a long time. And I watched all of it and I was so in awe of your empathy in that because, you know what, you know, on the squares and whatever, you do a lot of reels and whatever and we all do our own thing. We've all got our own way. Uh, And we can come across as these kind of people for the squares and whatever, right? (laughs) But when you did your live, you got so many questions and you answered them with real compassion. and, And I was so impressed with how you carried yourself in that hour i really was and oh thanks dave yeah honestly and and i thought you know what you really really want to help people Mm. not be where you were yeah is that really like for me that helps me a lot because i i went to hell not Mm-hmm. we're all different we all got different life stories right that's why i love doing these podcasts because you, one week i do think good jesus christ that blew me away and then i'll do another one like yours and it's like well oh, that blew me away even more <laughs> it, 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 
Well, we we all got our own story. It's all it's bespoke to the world, isn't it? You know the the different routes we go down to get where we were then to stop. But how much does that help you to know that you're helping others? A lot, for sure. It's not it's not what keeps me sober, but it is a cornerstone. Being on being in service of other people. And helping others to achieve sobriety is like a cornerstone of like my, first of all, my, my sobriety and then also like for my spiritual growth. Um, and, for you know, we understand ourselves. We get to know ourselves through other people. Helping other people helps me understand myself a little better. And I think there's a lot of people like me out there. I never, I never knew there was people that struggled with life and their emotions and functioning <laughs> i didn't know other people like other like young women i didn't know there was people like me out there and it turns out there is a lot and by just by sharing my story and kind of opening discussions and yeah and yeah just kind of talking about my shit helps other people feel less alone and it helps me feel less alone so some magical things happen when when people talk about their trauma <laughs> it, it's true and um that's why I love doing these podcasts because it teaches me things as well because there's things I relate to and there's things I don't. Mm. But it educates me. But it also it all comes down to the same thing, that we're lost. We're lost mm. in ourselves. We don't know who we are. We're escaping from the real, true authenticity of who we are. And then mm. it, this is why I say it's a, a whole new journey of discovery when you go down this path of sobriety. It's not just giving up drinking. It's about discovering who you really are. And, like, I am so different now, three and a half years later, than I was yeah. then. I was a well, I was a dickhead, actually. <laughs> I, 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 I was a, yeah, I, I was a real Jack the Lab, bowling the pub. Glugs is here and, and, like, feel really, really loved and walk out there and they go, dickhead, mm. and then go home and drink a load of diamond white cider and pass out and then wake up hating my guts. Mm. And then, it was like I was an actor on a stage, you know, performing. Yeah. And then going a little pokey one bed flat yeah it's there were so many people that will relate to that as well you know yeah i definitely relate so, to that i identify with that so much <laughs> so what's next for you young lady just i'm really i'm really concentrating on my recovery at the moment like i have so much work to do and i've got so far to go i'm just a bit of a mess really <laughs> and i want to be i want to be not a mess and i want to I want to be, I want to have a family and like get married and I want to, yeah, I want to have my own family and I can't do that at the moment because I can't look after myself. <laughs> so I'm working, you know I'm working on my recovery and working on myself so I can get to that point. But your turnaround is incredible. Let's give yourself some massive hugs for that because yeah. you, you were only going one way with that. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. It was, well, it was death or insanity really. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, so you said about the psych ward and the socks and whatever, you was probably either heading there or for the ground. Yeah. So you've turned it around, and I believe that was some kind of spiritual awakening mm. you had there. Yeah. I really believe in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I had the same as well. And you are working on yourself, and that's a, that's a big ask because you felt shit about yourself for your yeah. whole life, but you're doing amazing work. And do you know what? 
it's a joy to know you honestly Abby it really is I, I feel like I feel really lucky to to know you and we've only met once but I'm sure we'll meet again but there's some will. form of connection there and uh, I'm so grateful for you sharing your story today as well thank you uh, and Thanks I'm so glad you have turned it around as well because mm. I think you will have what you want because you work hard at your sobriety and that so positive thinking right that's it well thank you so much abby oh thanks for talking to me thanks dave see ya i hope you've enjoyed today's episode of one for the road please remember to subscribe and leave a review you can now download my app sober dave on the apple and google play store And on there, you will find lots of tutorials, tips and support to help you stop drinking. And there are also meditation audios, food plans and chat forums. You can also find me on Instagram at Sober Dave. Please remember to join me for next week's episode. But until then, thanks for listening and have a great week.